The following is a conversation with Ron Shine, aka Board Porn. Ron is a passionate surfer based out of the East Coast. When he's not surfing or working, he runs one of the largest surf accounts on Instagram. In this episode, we talk about how and why Ron started board porn, surfing on the East Coast, crazy airline stories, and more. Enjoy. So, Ron, we were we were just talking a little bit about how you got started in board porn. It, first, you were writing some blogs, and then you saw Instagram coming as sort of the future of, of media. How did you... Uh, what was the year that this started? How how early on? Uh, I, I now forget if it was 2012, 2013. Um, and it was basically at the time where, you know, there was, um, there were still a few other things. There was uh, not t- pre-TikTok, um, the video, uh, I'm blanking on it. I'm sorry. Vine, Vine. yeah. So yeah. Vine, like certain sports, certain sectors, certain uh, groups were gravitating towards different social media. And um, some were doing Facebook groups and it was big over there. Surfing, gravitated towards Instagram because we've always been, you know, a picture and video culture. And, and so it was one of these things where I saw it happening and I was like, I was still writing for a few blogs and I was like, I don't even read blog. I'm not reading blogs as much as I did 12 months ago. I'm on Instagram now flipping through pictures and, and looking at, you know, uh, instant live, no story, quick, easy on to the next. And what I realized very quickly were, was that people's attention spans were going that way, where there's still a place even on Instagram for you to write a long form uh, thing. But most of the time people are just flipping to the pictures and maybe they'll tune in a little bit more and read a little bit more if they like what they see or if there's something that hooks them. And you know, early on, it was just pictures with a, uh, here's a surfboard, you know, and it, it was like, or, or a new board, you know, and, then it got a little bit more. And I, I um, was going, to, I was down in Puerto Rico and I just got a new board and it was uh, one of the first generation of boards from um, uh, one, of, one of the LibTechs. When they first like hit the market, it was within a year of them marketing the boards and I ordered directly from them and it was a um, uh, LibTech bowl. And I just took a picture of it, which happens to be the very first picture on board board. Um, and it was a picture of it with probably like 10 different filter overlays. Cause I was like, Oh, cool filters. And I liked, I, when I put it up, it was on one of my, it was on like another account I had that had to do with the blog that one of the blogs I previously wrote for. And I was like, I kind of like that vibe. And, um, I started then using it as a wish list where I'd post boards that I, I saw and liked because as I was flipping through and following boards, um, and I'd tag the shapers, tag, tag people in it. And it was one of these things where it grew organically where I'm doing that each day and people are sending me photos and saying, hey, could you post this? I just got a new board or, or a shaper or a glass or somebody saying, I just built this new board. Uh, can you throw it up? And just grew from there. Um, never any real intentions with it and uh, certainly not business intentions. It was really just a fun way of keeping my toes in the water as I was spending, you know, upwards of 50 hours a week in my midtown uh, corporate job while commuting an hour and a half each way to and from Rockaway Beach where I live. The dirt bag is the most protective and functional board bag on the market. 25 millimeters of padding ensures your boards remain protected during travel and the universal racking system allows you to rack your bag on any vehicle with or without existing racks. Use code DIRTBAGRADIO on the website dirtbagsupplycode.com for 10% off your order. Free shipping throughout the U.S. How much time elapsed before you realized, like, holy cow, I mean, this page is blowing up. Like, this is, this is really making an impact. It got, a, it got a few thousand in, and it was the first person that said, um, hey, I want to make you a board. I want to send you something, a gift from me to you. And that was like, whoa, wait, how'd that happen? You know, somebody's making me a custom board. And that person, I just posted one of his boards, yeah, one of his, well, not one of his boards, but one of the boards he did a gloss for, which he's absolutely famous for, uh, Clutch Kyle. And uh, his goes by Surfboards by Clutch on Instagram, he uh, is one of the, like the gloss guy, but he does everything over at Waterman's Guild. 
Um, and he's a, just an absolute gem of a human, just a really nice guy overall. I finally got to meet him in person at one of the, um, the surfboard shows, uh, the boardroom show a few years back. And um, just, it was just an incredible moment where I, I went, whoa, um, you know, this, this page really is doing something. And it was never, as I said, about making money or doing anything, but that was the first you know, likes and followers are easy to get, but something like that where it was organic, it was unsolicited, and it was just somebody reaching out and saying, hey, thanks for sharing my work. I'd like to get you something. Um, that was kind of the moment I, I felt it. And that was probably 2014, 2013, 2014. I'll have to check. Yeah. That's awesome. And you've been you've been going at it ever since. Yeah, ever since. Um, just, you know, pretty much daily. I mean, I, I don't think I've, I, I might've taken a day or two break during uh, either being sick or, or uh, childbirth uh, with my two kids being born, things like that. Might've taken a, a few minutes off during my wedding. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, no, I, I've been pretty much on it uh, nonstop. I, and, you know, the nice thing about it is you can pick it up, put it down, I could work. Mm -hmm. uh, finish a phone call or finish something I'm working on, pick it up for a little bit. And, you know, the one problem is I often will leave it open in front of me and then people are writing me on it. I'm not seeing it. And then when I flip to the messages on there later and see a message from somebody that was like urgently trying to get me to post something like a, a live stream they're doing or something, it's too late. And they like see me as if I'm online the whole time, but I'm really not. I just have it open in front of me. Uh, kind of bums me out. But that's, that's life, you know? I mean, you're juggling a lot. You got your day job and on, on top of that, I mean, you're dedicating a couple hours a day to, to the Instagram account, yeah? Juggling kids, juggling yeah. family, juggling shopping, I'm the cook, um, uh, tr trying to fit surfing in whenever the East Coast allows, when we actually have a little wave. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's a lot to juggle, but uh, it's like I, in between Instagram and my day job, they're like two full-time jobs that I juggle. Yeah, one I get paid for one I enjoy, um, and and I get paid in in enjoy. So yeah, and so it's it's nothing personal if someone sends you a message and you don't see it right away. I mean, you just get flooded with these with people reaching out to you. It's it's between DMs, tags, emails, and then texts from the people I've gotten to know well over the years. It, it's kind of overwhelming. I I stopped checking the Facebook because my stuff all mirrors over to Facebook. The it's really run on Instagram. And I probably get a, a you know a few dozen messages a day on Facebook that I just haven't checked in four or five years. <laughs> so I, I just it's too much. It was like I another mean, thing where it's like that's just a mirror site, and I even say right on the like main page, everything here is just mirrored. Go to Instagram if you want to reach me. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean it's it just it's amazing how much you juggle and you still get out there to surf. It's hard. <laughs> you do it. Yeah. So. Um, You've created this amazing community. You've, you have almost 300,000 followers. You have people reaching out to you, sending you yep. boards to post, oftentimes sending you boards to test. Do you ever feel a little bit worried about traveling with these special boards that you get? You, you mentioned your live tech that, that you posted. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, careful traveler where when I am traveling, and now I've got one of your bags, which is awesome because it's, it's, it's way more bomb proof than like any other soft bag out there. Uh, but when I'm traveling, I make a point of taking boards that are easily, easily replaceable. And, you know, not that any shaper wants to think or board company wants to think of their board as easily replaceable, but I'll take stuff, um, you know, my, my ideal things are either a LibTech, um, a Firewire, where if I broke it in half, I wouldn't be heartbroken, you know, or if the airline broke it in half, I'd, I'd be super bummed no matter what the board is. Nothing is just like, oh, I'll replace it. But if you have like a fully customized, finely tuned board and the thing is can shaped and so it's not as easy to replicate and you break that in half, it's like irreplaceable. Whereas if I, I like, I'll take something like a Tomo Evo in Firewire's construction, one of their constructions, and if that broke, I could be on the phone and order another one tomorrow and it's going to be like 99.9% .9 the same. So I, I have a, I feel safety in bringing it along without the worry that, oh my God, it's going to break and 
all is lost. Um, if I'm traveling by car, you know, like doing road trips, I have no problem, you know, taking all, uh, whatever boards I want to take, but definitely flying. I, I'll never trust the airline. I think even if I had it in a steel case, I wouldn't trust the airlines. So have you ever had an airline break your board? Yep. So yeah. I've had a, a few boards. Uh, let's see. One, two, at least three boards broken by airlines. One uh, was when I was going to study abroad in France. I took exactly one board with me. It was a spider surfboard, um, which I, I just got a brand new spider, which actually has a lot of similarities to that board from that was in the 90s. And they broke the nose off and completely crushed one rail, like where it was shattered straight down. And I, I moved, um, was studying in a small town in France where there wasn't a place I could get it fixed or anything. Hmm. So I got duct tape and I just duct taped all the holes, um, left it noseless. And so it was like a five, two before five twos were a thing. <laughs> and I was, I ended up surfing it anyway and it went fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was one. Another one, I was on my way back from my first trip ever to California, uh, when I was 18 years old and it was an HIC, hmm. Uh, Hawaiian Island creation shaped by Lynn Shell in uh, North Carolina. And that thing it was obliterated. They just shattered it to pieces. Um, others, I, I've had a few others, but nothing is bad. It was just like, oh, crap, I have to repair this. Like, you know, some real bad dings on it. But those were the two where um, they pretty much destroyed the board. The one that they destroyed, uh, shattered to pieces, the Lynn Shell, I got a full refund from the airline. I just had to show a um, receipt for the board. And that's the most important it. thing people listening need to remember is to keep your receipts when you buy a board and to not and leave the airport without checking. Because if I don't you know how much, how much airlines will refund these days because now they like make, they'll make you pay 200 bucks to ship uh, to travel with the board. And then they'll have a disclaimer. If we break it, it's on you anyway. Um, but back then it was still, that was still an era, you know, in the nineties where you could, if they if the airline did something wrong, which was break your luggage, break your your you know musical instrument or whatever, you didn't have to take out extra insurance. They made it right. You just had to show a receipt or send them a receipt. And that one, I didn't have a receipt. I got one from the surf shop like a week after it broke, and I got back. And they ended up uh, probably within days. I was cut a check from the airline. It was pretty phenomenal back then. Now it would like six months to a year before you'd see anything or even just oh, yeah. get rejected. It's a different time and place, more people, more travelers, more problems. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. With, with most airlines currently, if, if you know the rules and the rules are, if you show them a receipt and you, you make your claim before you leave the airport, they are, it is under us law. They do have to uh, have some type of settlement, some type of recourse. And, and many people don't know about the receipt rule. Um, well, I, I'll give you an even better one. I, and it wasn't in a board bag, it was in a box. And I've had plenty of boards arrive broken in boxes. Um, but this one from, I, and I, I won't mention the shaper because we were, he and I were both heartbroken over it because it was hand-shaped, it was finely tuned. And it arrived via Delta Cargo where I went to pick it up at, at JFK, John F. Kennedy Airport, which is just like 15 minutes away from me. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting in the terminal and I'm looking and I don't see any boxes in the, like the warehouse where they're bringing boxes. I'm looking for surfboard shaped boxes. Then I see one that is a longboard shaped box that is bent over in half. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God I don't have a longboard, you know? And then I see the guy carrying one. I'm like, oh good, it looks like it's whole. And then as he turns sideways, I see the box is just kind of like crushed straight across with the tire track. And oh my god! Yeah, so I'm like, oh shit! So I take a, a a picture of the tire track, and I'm I'm like, he's like, okay, sign this release, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I need to look and see. If there's a tire track, and a big the box looks crushed. Open it up. It's bubble wrap. Can't, can't see anything yet. I open the bubble wrap, and there's a uh, like a mark straight across the board lengthwise from where a tire drove over it. It was a forklift a forklift drove over it and put a like an uh, like a divot indentation across the whole board that was like a half inch deep and uh and it just crushed the whole board it crushed the rails it crushed the rocker you know 
where it wasn't crushed, it was fractured everywhere, like spiderweb fractures. And the guy's like, yeah, we didn't do that. And I'm like, well, you, who did it? Who did it? And he's like, no, 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 that wasn't Delta. I'm like, who, who did it? It's your, your, your shipping point to point. And it was almost like he was trying to insinuate like the shaper who handmade this thing that loves this board, drove over it and then handed it to Delta to ship. And this is a person who's a, a, become a dear friend. Uh, he stayed in Rockaway for a while and, and visited and, and we you know, had some good times together. Uh, I met his, his son, he met my daughter. My son wasn't born at the time. Um, and you know, I, I've gotten boards from him recently um, and you know, think the world of him. He's one of the kindest, most awesome humans on the planet. And I, I, I called him and I'm like, dude, bad news. And I'm telling him, he's like, reject it, reject it, don't take it. So I, I didn't take it. And um, yeah, they, they, uh, they basically you know, had to deal with it. So what's funny is a year and a half later, after that, I got a call. This was just a couple months ago. And the call was, hi, this is Delta Cargo. Uh, we have a box for you. It was lost and we found it. And I'm like, a box for me? And I'm thinking, oh, did somebody secretly send me something that I'm not aware of? And, uh, you know, getting excited. And he goes, yeah, it's opened. And it looks like it was driven over with a tire. They had apparently just put it on a shelf somewhere and forgot about it. They never sent it back to him or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's got to return to sender, you know, because they need to, to get the money back on that and they need the, the board back. But um, yeah, that was a that was a real bummer seeing that, you know, the, the things people could do. And you see like the pros when they travel and their like whole board coffin is broken in half with all the, the boards broken in half. Um, but but seeing it run over by a truck and they were still like, this looks good. Here, take it is just another level. Did they did they do anything to make it right? Did they issue a refund? Um, they they the gave damage? me a claim form and stuff like that, uh, which we we uh, I don't know what the ultimate re resolution was on that. We tried going back and forth to try to get um, them uh, refunded for it, but it was one of these things where, you know, the, you could say when you're sh when you're traveling as a passenger, the one job is to get you there to point A from point A to point B safely. Okay, and get your stuff there. Um, when you're shipping a package, the only job is to get it there, not broken, you know, not not destroyed. And so they had one job, and they failed miserably. They drove over it, and whoever did it with the forklift, I feel bad. <laughs> Guy's probably you know not stoked in his job, probably making yeah. you know ju just above minimum wage. And I you know I'm, people make mistakes, but. It, it, you know, I just picture the scene where he's like, oh, shit, you know, oh, well, let's just put it on there. Yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that happens. I've had boards come with, uh, I had a board come with what looked like a hole through it. That was a forklift prong, um, you know, going through it. So I'm sure like the people that send out a lot of boards, like particularly the big companies uh, that send out thousands of boards a year, you know, Lost, um, Channel Islands, Firewire, uh, they must see all kinds of crazy stuff happening. But I, I've seen a good, my good share of, of destruction where I get nervous every time I have a board on the way. It's, um, I love just looking outside the plane when they're unloading bags and just seeing them throw these things like, oh, like yeah. they don't care, <laughs> like fragile stickers, whatever, no worries. And, and that's, that's where the dirt bag shines is, is baggage handler negligence. I don't know yeah. if, it, if it will prevent a forklift going through the board, but when it comes to baggage handlers just tossing these things, I mean, oh. I've thrown these things off of roofs. It, it, it works for the baggage handlers. The forklift, I'm going to have to test that out. But uh, it's, it's a great, it really is great because my, my other go-to over the years for traveling was always um, uh, one of the Santa Monica hard cases, which is, you know, pretty bulletproof. Oh, the yeah. biggest problem with Santa Monica hard case, they're they're big and heavy and awkward and like hard to mount on cars or or hard to travel with. Um, I mean, I had it down in Mexico. I was staying in a hotel and I had it and there was uh, the bubble wrap I had taken out of it and I had two boards in there. I left one board in it while I was out surfing and left the bubble wrap on the floor and the cleaning people threw out the bubble wrap and I was in a tiny yeah. Mexico. 
And it was so hard to get anything, to find anything. And I'm like trying to figure out, you know, how to, to find bubble wrap in small rural coastal Mexico. It was like a nightmare. Um, and I'm thinking, God, when I get these things back, they're going to rattle around in the hard case and be shattered to pieces. Uh, I did end up finding it though. <laughs> um, but then, again, the other problem with that is it's hard to travel with. And now that I've traveled with two kids everywhere too, mm -hmm. it's like, forget it. I can't take a hard case. It's, it's a nightmare. I'm carrying all my kids stuff. It's yeah. Do your, do your, do your kids uh, surf? Um, they don't yet. My, uh, I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. My seven-year-old is uh, getting more comfortable with it. I think this is going to be the summer of surfing. Uh, my two-year-old will probably get on it earlier. My my seven-year-old's daughter, two-year-old's a, a son, and my two-year-old is is just absolutely fearless. Nice. Um, yeah, like he will fall underwater in the pool, be under for five seconds, and come up like scared, and they'll start laughing. And you know, whereas my five, my seven-year-old, if she gets splashed the wrong way, she'll still go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different well, different strokes, but I, I'm my I am to get them both doing it regularly, um, and I'm even thinking to get them in the the pool, uh, the yeah. pool in uh, New Jersey this winter before things warm up. So. So you you recently went to the the student uh, surf at American Dream. How was that? That that, that right. building has been under construction for like twenty years. Yeah, it's pretty wild because, you know, unfortunately for the, the owners of like the whole project, it opened at the wrong time. It opened just before, like just as COVID was crashing. And so it, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. Um, I thought it was it was really, really cool. It's small. Uh, the wave in it is small. It's like um, the, my first takeaway when I walked in was the pool on video and in photos looks tiny. It looks like an Olympic sized pool or even smaller. When you go in, it's gigantic. It's enormous. Um, it's way bigger than a football field, maybe two football fields uh, and or two, more than two football fields. It's so enormous that it's like, whoa, but it looks so small. And I just posted videos the other day and I'm like, it looks tiny. It looks like I'm in a like a college swimming pool or something. You could like tuck that. into a barrel though. It, you could if you well, tuck really, really tight. No, but I mean the actual size of the pool and the size of the place, photos and video can do it no justice. It is enormous. It's like walking into an enormous structure where you can't believe how big it is compared to what it looks like on video. Um, the wave itself, small. We were there when we were there. They were having a problem with the because um, they have to adjust, it, readjust it when they're changing waves. But there's another crowd that does readjustments on the wave itself when it's the it's a water park during the day, um, early mornings and late night is when it's the Scuden Surf um, Surf Pool. But otherwise, it's a water park where they change the bottom and change the the, the uh, whatever the the motors to make it just pump out gentle waves so kids can swim in it. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it it's got a whole a multi-purpose life. Yeah, it, it's it it like has a I guess like the um the uh the the wave pool thing like that it does at night and in the mornings. That's like the side hustle. Whereas the main event is the water park during the day. So I did not know that something wasn't working right. So the the waves the night I surfed it that I posted just a couple of days ago were um, they were working at like half speed and half size. So it was really like smaller and weaker than it normally is. That said, once you're you're taking off on it, it does kind of have a, a bit of oomph. It's pretty cool considering it's not salt water, it's it's chlorine. You definitely need more foam. I I had people telling me, oh bring more foam. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm I'm good. I always surf little boards even when it's weak and you definitely need more foam. I was surfing some that's like 29 liters. My normal is like 27. Um, probably could have gone up to like 30, 31, 32 liters on my own. And the guy that was running it uh, was saying he he surfs like 22 liter potato chips uh, most of the time in the ocean. And he said, I surf 28 liters here. And he said, I, and I mean it. So he was spot on. You definitely need to bump up significantly to, to be able to keep up with and get the wave. But Again, I heard it's a different wave when they can crank it up. And so we're waiting till they crank it back up and get the guys in to fix things. And we're going to like do a little private session where we could really, you know, crank it to 11 and yeah. um, have a lot of fun with it. So but I, I, I go back. 
even now, I'd go back in a heartbeat. I'd go back, I, you know, if if there's not my friends do another like private group session or something, I'd jump in in a second because it's the it's fun. It is surfing. It's a little bit novelty, but it's just a lot of fun getting out and getting in it with friends. And it's there's something surreal about it. Especially in the dead of winter when where you'd be in like a five, four or four, three with with full gear on otherwise. Oh man. So I surfed the morning after or the afternoon after I surfed in the wave pool. So that night we went, got there at like uh eight, sorry, we had an eight o'clock session from eight to eleven. We did three hours. So we got there at 6.45, the weather was 38 degrees. By the time we got out, the air temp was 20 degrees or 26 degrees. By the next morning, it was a 14 degrees, but it feels like negative four. Whereas like, and I, I went out surfing in that and I'm just like, oh man, what am I doing? And it was just so cold and so windy. And it was like uh, running back to the house with my gloves over my face, just trying to not get frostbite on my face on the way back it was nuts you know what that's something that i really love about the new york surf community is that you really have to be passionate to get out there when it's that cold and get those waves and it's it's a big difference from here in southern california where it's kind of always sunny the water's never that cold i mean maybe i'll wear my booties a couple times in the winter but when yeah. I go to the East Coast, I mean, you really got to be passionate. You really got to gotta want it. Well, that's it. Our water in summer in New York. It's, it's warmer than it is here 80. in SoCal. It's like 80. 80. Yeah. Jellyfish if it's any warmer. Water in uh, winter here could hit freezing, could go right to 32, right at that point. You know, so it's we will get into the 30s. Um, if we're, I, I don't think we are yet. We're probably still in the 40s, but... We will get into the 30s and, you know, it's such a temperature swing. We shouldn't have like a 50 degree temperature swing because the California temperature swing winter to summer is like, okay, Southern California is probably like 59 degrees or 58 degrees now. Or 55 something. when it's really cold. So 55 to a high of 75, right? Yeah. Or 20. Yeah. I mean, we just have a huge swing. But then again, our air temperature, we have a huge swing that you guys don't have. You know, you guys get a, a, a little bit of frost and it's like. Yeah, the sky is falling. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in New York and I miss the seasons. It kind of, it, it helps you mentally to know that the, the seasons are changing. And when it's oh. just, you know- Dude, let's I, swap, let's swap. I'm ready yeah, to go okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Have you ever tried foiling? I, um, no, um, I just haven't because again, you know, with all the things I juggle, uh, it's a big part why I've never tried foiling, SUPing, uh, kite surfing, any of these things, because it's like, I don't have time. Yeah. If there's any kind of wave, I want to be out there surfing. Um, if there's no wave or waves that you would foil, like where it's like, you know, kind of not really good, not breaking too high tide. I want to, if I'm not working, I want to be with my kids. I want to, you know, mm -hmm. get something done that I've been putting off. And so, you know, if the younger me probably would, when I had more free time, less responsibilities, all I had was work or all I had was school. But with all the responsibilities I have, it's like, I just don't have time. You know, if I, if I say I'm going surfing, well, it's flat today, I'm going to go foiling. Well, it's windy today, I'm going to go kite surfing. My wife would be like, when it <laughs> for us for you, you do have a family yeah. you know yeah. right and the good thing about living in new york is it makes you want it more because we don't have waves every day when i go to california and you know people will say oh not here or not there if you live in if you live in san diego area um it's never flat you know go up to san clemente it's gonna be knee high at worst you know go go to there's always something there's always somewhere you could surf. Maybe not in the, you know certain areas of the Bay Area where it's blocked by the islands, mm -hmm. or or um, you know certain seasons where you're not getting uh, north swells or um, Santa Barbara in the summer. Santa Barbara, yeah, where you know it's blocked from south swells, things like that. Certain areas, but you could drive an hour and a couple hours and you could get to waves. New York's flat. You could drive a couple hours and it's going to be lake flat in New Jersey. And I mean, you know it, lake flat, like literally not a ripple. Uh, same all the way down to Florida, all the way up to New, uh, Nova Scotia. The whole coast will be like that. We don't have anywhere. You, oh, it's flat here. You could drive. Now, when we have waves, 
you could drive a place and it could be, you know, almost double in size just because it's sucking in the swell direction a little better. But when you don't have it, there's nothing. You, there's no salvation. So when people tell me, oh, it's been flat for weeks um, and, you know, in, in uh, somewhere like uh, Encinitas and I'll put on the Swami's cam and I'll see, I'm like, dude, there's like a knee high wave out there. There's like yeah. 16 guys. I'm watching them get waves. What do you mean? It's Oh, you mean it's not like good waves. And then I'll pull up uh, San Clemente and I'm like, Trestles looks rippable and fun. You know, I'm watching guys blow airs and you're calling it flat. Come over here, come meet yeah. flat. Yeah. But Seriously. the good thing is if you have a, you know, like a, a day job that you, and like things to juggle, the fact that we do get good flat, good flat spells, that we get flat spells or, or our waves are few and far between, you can get stuff done and you really, you know, try to tune your schedule around those days that are, that we have anything. So. And I think, I think it, it keeps you hungry too, for surf. I, I remember yeah. when I moved out here and it was, like you said, there's always something to surf the, the sort of excitement and that like Grom level stoke that you get can fade when you have waves every day. And it's, yeah. you know, I look at the camp like, eh, you know, it's not as good as it was yesterday. Maybe I'm not going to surf. I'll go to New York and there's just a little something I can get, take a longboard out and I'm stoked. And I, I think I enjoy surfing on the East coast more for that reason. That's it. And, you know, going out there, it's like my, a lot of friends I knew from that went out there for college, went out or just moved out there. They got to the point where like, oh, I don't bother paddling out if it's under chest high. Yeah. It's like, you kidding me? Look how fun that waist high wave looks. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you grow up over here, you're just hungry for it in a way that, you know, the, a lot of the rest of the world is not. Um, I, I saw that in Hawaii. My first trip to Hawaii was I'm paddling out um, on the South Shore, and it was probably like waist to chest high with some bigger shoulder high sets and maybe an occasional, you know, something bigger. And I'm walking over uh, one of the reefs, um, and I'm following these these people, and they started talking to me, asking me about the board I was carrying, and um, we were just chatting back and forth they're like where are you from and I said oh from New York and um they said oh have you been here before I said no first time and first time paddling out and the guy goes to me yeah shame you came when it's flat I'm like looking I'm like that's a chest high wave right there that's a that's not flat <laughs> I mean Hawaii is that chest high wave is like zero to one foot on there I'm side. trying to tell him the lagoon I just paddled across yeah that's flat that's what we have back home but <laughs> yeah it's uh it makes you appreciate it more and it makes you you know but it also makes it when it, it's gigantic you know uh people here generally speaking unless you travel a lot it's like gulp what do we do now yep yeah um, yeah yep. so it's it, it's fun but i i kind of like the feast or famine sometimes it's too long when we get like a two or three week flat spell and you're losing your mind but uh you know now we have a pool <laughs> yeah that's right somewhere we could go yeah speaking of pools it it seems like the area within the surf industry that's most ripe for serious progression is the wave pool area i mean there are yep. so many different types of technology you see the pool they have at waco it seems like the scoot and surf is sort of that waco's baby sister yep. you have uh that really cool pump system they have in australia oh the plunger one yeah plunger. surf lakes it's oh man I don't know if you saw South Carolina, it looks like they're, they're uh, uh, I don't know if it's signed, but it looks like they're going to put a surf lake in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, they have, don't they, or they have something similar, I think, in South Korea. I'm not sure what exactly that technology is. It might be similar to BSR. Um, and then, of course, you have Kelly's Wave, which is kind of just the top level. I mean, yeah. this is this is peak performance wave pool technology. Are you concerned at all that the pro proliferation of wave pools combined with so many new surfers due to COVID, do you think that there's such thing as a critical mass of surfers? The point where lineups get so crowded that you're gonna have to have, I don't know if it's gonna be like a permitting system, that would suck, like state parks or paddling down a river, maybe localism and, and these local surf gangs will, will start to rise up against. What's your sense on the future of surfing? I don't know. I think we're post-localism in a lot of ways. I, you know, it's, it's, um, I grew up in a very localized area in the Hamptons and it's surfing there from, and everybody knew each other from West Hampton to, which was, it was the westernmost 
all the way to Montauk, which is the easternmost, um, they either knew each other, if not directly by face, but you're one degree separated, but there were no, it, it was a different era. It was the eighties into the nineties. There weren't adult beginners, there, um, which again, no, no fault on adult beginners. Not everybody grows up on the ocean, but there was localism. Um, a lot of those people would spend significant amount of time in Hawaii each season, some of them the entire season or, or more. Um, many of them, the people I grew up, you know, the local legends ultimately moved to Hawaii. Um, and so they grew up under the system where they were getting chased by the black shorts and by the hui and just by locals in Hawaii and taught respect. And they, the, the common refrain when I was a grum getting brutalized was, if this was Hawaii, you'd get knocked out right now. Or, you know, it, it, it was always, uh, if this, if we were in Hawaii right now, if we were in Hawaii and as a grom, it's like, when you're first getting to hearing that, it's like, if we were in Hawaii, we're in New York, we're not in Hawaii. <laughs> but then you start learning it and then, you know, you stop getting uh, abused and brutalized and you start getting, okay, grom, grab that wave. And um, so you start learning the system of localism. Next thing you know, you're, you're yelling at the guy who shows up one day uh, out of nowhere. And it, it's, it kept an orderly lineup. Yeah. We were few enough surfers back in the day that we, again, we knew each other. There was never a big surge in summer even. Maybe a few people that had summer houses that came from somewhere else, but it wasn't a surge like, because there weren't rental boards, there weren't surf schools, mm -hmm. um, there weren't all the things that proliferated surfing to where it is now. Now, all of these things are very good for the surf industry. Um, they're very good for the board industry. They're very good for the wetsuit. For, oh, don't let that happen. <laughs> We're good. Um, but it, yeah, it's not good for crowds. And everybody will say that uh, spots are more crowded than ever. Uh, the other big thing is, okay, if you look at, and I haven't done a look for, if you say, okay, I started around 88, 89. Um, if you look around then at the population of the United States, it was probably closer to 200 million. We're 330 million people. We added 130 million people since I started surfing. Now, if, if you take the same number of people that are surfing, it, it should at least uh, close, to, you know, close to double or what, times and a half. Um, so. I would think it's even more than that, given the sort of adoption of surf culture, skate culture, all the big brands sort of selling right. the lifestyle. Olympics, late that, yep. uh, Blue Crush, Internet, you know, everything, uh, Clips. Blue Crush, or, yeah. You know, the, the ultimate surfer, all these things, they they do sell the lifestyle, they sell the coolness of it, things like that. Um, How many people yeah. get hooked on it? That might be a different conversation. But the yeah. question of wave pools is really interesting to me because I think it's conceivable where you're going to have kids competing in wave pools that have never surfed in the ocean. Maybe, you know, they grew up in the Midwest and they shred the wave pool. They're throwing big airs, but they've yep. never surfed in the ocean. I mean, I really, well, that, that's, that's the thing. You're going to have some kid that again, grew up in Texas, went to BSR every day since he was five years old. Like maybe, you know, his, his dad or his older brother runs it or something. And the kid is going to rip and just absolutely rip. The question is what's going to happen when that same kid starts traveling or the world, you know, how are they going to do in ocean waves? How are they going to do in Hawaii? How are they going to do in, you know, um, you know, big waves, things like that, which, but then again, if you get the bases down, it's easy to start transitioning to bigger waves. It's, you know, I think Alaram from New York said with getting barrels, you know, why is he so good at pipeline? Because he applied what he learned in Long Beach and Lido Beach getting barreled off his ass. And, you know, you just start getting used to it in bigger and bigger waves and then you get comfortable in it. So it's, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know, I, I, I get frustrated. Part of it is just, remembering times when it was less crowded, even mm. New York City, remembering times when during hurricane season, you could have glassy overhead waves and go out and there's only a handful of people. Or, I never got it like that. Or a weekday and go down, I'd drive down to Rockaway a weekday in an October while it, where it's pumping and I just couldn't find somebody to surf with. And so I'd drive over to Long Beach and not, not that I needed somebody to hold my hand, but I'm like, what happens if I get, you know, it's nice to have someone else out there, especially when yeah. it's cold. <laughs> and I would, I would drive from one end of the peninsula all the way to the other, and then, then go over to Long Beach just because I didn't want to, you know, I'm thinking of myself belly up with, you know, after hitting my, 
it's not like I hadn't got hurt before surfing. And I'm, I'm just thinking it'd be nice to have somebody around that if they saw me belly up or, or head down, they, mm-hmm. belly down, they'd come and pull me out or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, now on a, a, a weekday, it could be ankle high and there'll be, uh, you know, a weekday in winter and you'll have gangs at every jetty. It's crazy, yeah. the proliferation of it. So, so um, and that's everywhere I hear. So far, the um, the only place where I've sort of been in po- in the position of wanting someone else out there with me has been in very far northern California, like yeah. like the northern border. It's pretty awesome up there. And if if you know, as a New York surfer, you'd love it up there. You'd you'd be fine in the cold. Um, yeah, the only time I had that was once in Mexico, off of a point where I was probably about a quarter mile away from where my wife was sitting on the beach. And that same point in, um, uh, that was in Troncones, um, apparently got a shark attack like a week later, um, like after I got out of there and I'm like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, I was out there all alone and nobody else around. Another one was Iceland, middle of, uh, that was Iceland in October. It was already snowing and uh, I was out alone and I'm thinking, you know, this was early 2000s and I'm like, is a killer whale gonna eat me? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because then how often do they see surfers? And it was yeah. Um, what so, do you do when it's that cold? Are, are you putting Vaseline on your face? Are you in a? I've never a used Vaseline, and the the coldest the coldest I've ever surfed, and I I, I give it to the guys in the Great Lakes because it gets even colder up there. I mean, the coldest winters. Awesome Great Lakes. I remember yeah. winters in the '90s in Rhode Island where I would surf, and the rocks all had ice on them, which that happens with the jetties here. Um, but surfing Point Judith, coming in and the le- uh, the uh, string from my hood would have an ice cluster on it, and my hair, I had long hair back then, that was hanging out of my uh, hood, would have ice clumps on it. Um, and that's salt water. That was, you know, salt water freezing. What they do it in the Great Lakes, it's, you know, it's different, but it's, it's fresh water, but it's, it's, I think it's fresh water, right? Great Lakes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, it's going to freeze quicker and stuff like that. Not to take anything away from the cold, because those guys are animals going in that stuff in the winter, especially. And when, gravy, those guys just. Oh, dude, I mean, the lake's. Getting, getting overhead out. waves on a lake. I, I took one of my my close friends who we went to the pool together. Um, we grew up surfing together, and he came and visited me in Rhode Island during college. And um, we ended up going out at uh, one of my favorite breaks there. It was pumping, big, right hand. Um, and there were probably like 40 knot offshore winds and it was so cold. It was like one of those days where it's like below zero and we went out and he, to this day says that was the coldest day he ever surfed. And that probably was, I, I'm just not remembering, you know, what was the coldest day, but the, it, I remember we both came in with clumps of ice all over our, our, th- our suits and stuff. And the moment you get out of the water and you have the board and you're trying to like warm up and the board get, uh, would get ice on it. It was like, you know, it's tough. It's, it's, you gotta a, love a it. You gotta love it. Yeah. Do you think it hurts more when you fall in those cold waves or does the wetsuit offset sort of the impact? Cold, it just, it hits. I don't know if it hits harder. It just feels harder. You don't want to be underwater um, because even with the hood on, you know, if you, if you duck down, downs are tough when it's cold. And if you duck dive like three or four waves in a row, you can still get a pretty bad ice cream headache, even with a hood on, you know, so it's when it's that cold. And so you don't want to be under for too long. That's why it's like extra heavy when people are surfing big waves in icy locations. It's like, I don't know, uh, you know, you don't want that hold down. It's yeah. tough. Do you have you um, do you ever train for surfing? Like when there's a flat spell, are you running or working out? Do you have any training regimen? Oh man, I, I wish I had time. And I know they say you make time, but when I first thing up, my kids are basically my alarm clock in the morning and then I'm up and getting them ready and stuff like that. And then I'm already answering uh, things from work and looking at messages on, on Instagram. And, and by the point, you know, I can't even sneak out for a surf on a Dawn Patrol unless it's summer now because, or, or if my da- uh, weekend or my daughter is on vacation because she's in school mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm juggling our two kids with my wife and just getting them up and ready. And in winter, you know, we don't want to drag my two-year-old out into the cold. Um, so I don't want to tell my wife, oh, just take him for drop-off because he doesn't need to go out when it's below freezing, you know? Yeah. So 
um, I'll hang home with him. But during summer, it's like anything goes because everybody will sleep in. Yeah. Kids sleeping in is like seven o'clock instead of 5.30 or 6 a.m. <laughs> so it's a, a different thing. But um, at least I could do more dawn patrols when, when my daughter's on vacation or weekends or summer. Awesome. And I'm sure the getting surfing in the winter is pretty tough with the with the small daylight window and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, and working with tides and everything yeah. else and you know and winds because we get a lot more like devil winds and stuff like that. So it's it's tough. Yeah. Have you ever been injured surfing? Um, I'm trying to think. My most serious no uh, most serious was uh, just cutting my leg. It didn't even need stitch. Oh, well, no, I, I've, I've like sprained and strained a lot of things. Like I had, I blew out my knee. Fortunately, nothing tore. Although, you know, a, a few friends who had similar injuries said you're better off tearing because then they could just repair it. And it's, you know, right. it'll recover. Cause if you strain and sprain stretching out, ne it never goes back to normal. You just have to build up the muscles around it. And it's always going to be that you know, so I still have moments where the same knee that I did twice um, feels like it just doesn't feel as secure as I'd it's like. It's not as stable. Yeah. I know so, what you mean. I was, uh, I was hit by a car about a year ago while riding my oof. bike and I separated my shoulder right here. And oh it's been over a year and I've, you know, I did PT for, for a full year. I I'm, I'm doing pushups and, and doing the stretches, everything every day. And it's still kind of loose. It's coming back. It's getting better. But um, I've been really inspired by people like Garrett McNamara, who have shattered their shoulders and they're, you know, still surfing, going hard. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious to see like what kind of training regimen is best to keep the surfing going as long as possible. The surfing's a lifetime sport. Yeah, it's, it's hard though because also, you know, I, again. Um, I know lots of people that train and then they do something stupid and hurt themselves training or, uh, right. And, you know, I, my training is chasing after my kids most of the time and, and then surfing. And, um, you know, I, I, try, I do a proper, I, I eat well. Yeah. I, I, you know, do what I can, but it's, I do wish I had more time to train just so like, again, winter, you put on that six mil wetsuit and you're trying to paddle. And if you're not like, surfing on a regular basis it's like oh my god am i going to make it out on this you know slightly overhead day or am i going to get rejected yeah. just because my paddling's gone to shit because i'm held down by 10 pounds of wetsuit and um you know the restrictions so it's tough but yeah recovery definitely be glad that not that don't be glad that happened that you got uh, hit by a car but be glad that it happened at 25 because if it right. happened at 45 much tougher to recover from it was I, I learned well. a lot from the process just about how my body works how how muscles affect you know physiology the importance yeah. of eating right and and you know getting your steps in every day and just surfing every day just to keep the momentum going and yeah. it, it was a real wake-up call and i'm you know it, that's the silver lining for me from that incident uh, i praise physical therapists every day they got me back on my heroes yeah yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have a great relationship with my my physical therapist and given the sort of activities that I do, I'm sure I'll, I'll be seeing him again, hopefully uh, <laughs> not anytime soon. Hope not anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's always the hope. It's like, oh, I, any, and as you get older, each time you go surfing or do something like a physical activity, my whole thing is when I come home, I'm like, didn't get hurt. Good. Yeah, that's a, that's a win. <laughs> it's yeah. tough. It's a lifetime sport though. And that's really unique. Un unlike skateboarding or like serious types of skiing and snowboarding where you're doing flips and all this kind of thing. I mean, I see moms, dads, grandparents out there shredding. I mean, shredding. Yeah. And that's really inspiring. And, it, and it, it's something that, that inspires me to kind of keep a healthy lifestyle and, and keep at it so that I can keep doing it. Yeah, no, I know plenty of people well into their seventies and beyond that are, are surfing. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Again, you got to take care of yourself. Don't let yourself deteriorate, keep up your health enough that you can keep doing it. And, and like you said, you know, some kind of exercise regimen or yoga or stretching things that will keep your body fit enough that it's not going to hurt. But then there's always the, I'm over 40 and 
I pulled my zipper wrong and now I, now my neck is stiff. <laughs> That's hard to avoid with any amount of conditioning. Yeah. So because you won't hurt yourself doing heavy weights, but then you'll hurt yourself like trying to get a wetsuit on or off. It's like, oh, it's frustrating. But oh man. Humanity, man, we're fragile. And uh, you got to take care of the vessel. That's it. Do you ever see yourself kind of retiring a little bit from your day job and, and getting really into surfing full-time, maybe moving somewhere? Um, what, what I, yeah, no, I, I've, we've thought about that and, you know, not, not retirement yet, but we're looking at places where we are going to get, um, uh, you know, vacation home, a home that we're going to spend more and more time in and with remote work now um, and, and flexibility you can work from anywhere, which is pretty cool. If you, if you have a job that, you know, allows for that, of course. Um, so we're looking where we're trying to figure that out. And, you know, the biggest obstruction for us doing it anytime real soon is young kids because wherever we get that second home, where that might be the magical place, whether it's Hawaii or or Puerto Rico or, or some other island, or um, you know, it's got to be, it's got to work for the kids. Um, so it, we're not as footloose and fancy free as we were when we were kidless, childless. So it's, I it, mean, complications. Hey. I tell everybody, make all those moves, do everything before you settle down and before you have kids, even before you get married, because once you get married. Um, there's your spouse's family, um, mm -hmm. you know, if they're close to their family, it's hard to pull them and, and uproot them. Um, it's a lot easier to make that move and then, then start your family. So, yeah, but we are thinking about it. We're looking for that second place. That's going to be our part-time place until it's our full-time place. I'm sure the kids will love it. Even your daughter. Oh, you know, like, at this age, they'll guy. love it. Yeah, yeah. At this age, they'll love it. But you know, I, I have to, I am going to wait until a few more years to a full-time, uh, considering a full-time move. So. Awesome. That sounds smart, especially given everything going on with the pandemic. Crazy. Yeah. I've been, I've been blessed. My, I've been living with my girlfriend for five years now and, and we're both obsessed with surfing. We, okay. everything we do is sort of oriented towards that. You know, what's awesome about that? When you guys, if you guys go the distance, get married, have kids, then you get to fight over who gets to go surfing while <laughs> that's the tide a, is good, while the wind's offshore. And that's a good fight. That's a good kids. fight to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I see my uh, couple, uh, a few couples that surf them, friends with here uh, in Rockaway that like I'll, I'll surf with the husband and then uh, while the wind's offshore and then the wind goes on and he'll go home and then the wife comes out or vice versa. And they're like the one that comes out when the wind's onshore. And it's not like wind onshore in California. Wind onshore here hacks hacks the waves to crap where you can't even surf. And the, like the one that comes out when the wind's onshore is just like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good problem to have, though. Yeah, you figure it out as you go, and you get a sitter. You find a reliable sitter that you can watch the kid while you both go surf together. Someone so, who doesn't surf. Yeah. <laughs> well uh well ron it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast thank you for taking the time to yeah no worries anytime anytime um i i love you know what you're doing i love the product and, and love the energy and everything else so um i i can't wait to go on going on one trip with the dirt bag in tow with two boards was awesome uh to a wave pool but that's hardly a surf trip so i can't wait to take it on a real trip and Fingers crossed, might be go flying somewhere, uh, maybe Puerto Rico in February or March. So we'll see. Awesome, and I'll, I'll, we have some some new uh, developments in the work on our Dirtbag 2.0 that I'll keep you updated on. Awesome, can't look forward to seeing it and hearing about it. <laughs> Great. All right, Ron, I'm going to stop recording here.